Well, if you tuned into the program last week, then you will remember that we talked about a super important issue. We talked about a 12-week trial run that was announced by the New York Fed, covered by mainstream media outlets such as Reuters, Bloomberg, and they basically were talking about doing a test run for a cashless society and a digital currency. Now today, I want to talk about another issue that is somewhat related to that issue, and the the, the issue is the question of implantable technology. Now, if you've been listening to the program for any length of time, you understand that transhumanism is a huge emphasis of mine, and that I've been studying and writing, actually, on this issue for some for a while now. And so I'm really, I'm really kind of um, uh, putting my finger on something that I think the church really needs to wake up to. We really need to focus on that. And so I can't wait to talk about this issue regarding implantable tech. But before we do that, I want to introduce uh, a, a, a guest host and a dear friend of mine, Kevin Moore, who has been a, a, a close brother and just a brother in the faith and ministry. We go way back. Oh, man. Kevin, we've known each other now for, I don't know, what, 20 years or so, bro? Yeah. It's been a long time. Hey, welcome to the program, brother. Christ in Kingdom, you are on. Thanks, Emilio. So great to be with you, man. And uh, thanks for having me here. And uh, just excited about talk talk about that uh, topic here um, on this podcast. And um, as you talked about in plantable technology. And so could you explain more about that? Um, just what's what's the future hold with that? And what are your thoughts? And again, how do we see this from a, a biblical worldview? Oh, absolutely, brother. And that's the thing, right? Like, we want to explain all these issues from a biblical worldview, and it's not simply covering the technology, but it's also talking about, is the Bible sufficient? You know, Kevin, I'm sure that you've seen a lot of conferences, online conferences, a lot of ministries that we might follow and whatnot, and they talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. The you know we talk about um, sola scriptura. We talk about Scripture being you know the ultimate authority, but we also talk about Scripture being sufficient. Absolutely. And and then the question is is yes, when we talk about Scripture being sufficient, maybe we're thinking mainly like theologically, or we're thinking about like is Scripture sufficient to deal with culture? Mm-hmm. But. But the question that we're going to have to grapple with here, I think, in the 21st century is, is Scripture sufficient to address the issues of technology that are coming? And I don't know, Kevin, I would even encourage you, bro, go back if you haven't already, but just to see some of the issues I've been talking about with technology and transhumanism and the way that that's going to really, really challenge us as Christians. Um you know, like always, bro, like we we want to be ready to give a, a defense. Mm-hmm. We want to give an answer to every man that asks us for the hope that is within us. We want to be able to have a biblical apologetic for anything that comes our way. But here's the deal. Typically, we've thought, we think about apologetics in very classical terms. We talk about cults or Jehovah Witnesses or yeah. Mormons or, or Catholicism. But I would argue that we, we're, we're kind of in unprecedented times because technology is now introducing us to subjects that, man, we, we just, we've never faced before as Christians. 
Yeah, that is that is so true. And I like what you said, though, just about the sufficiency of Scripture, because, I mean, Scripture claims to be sufficient. It does. You know, I mean, you look at 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, right? Um, you know, 2 yep. Peter chapter 1, God's given us all things um, that pertain to life and godliness, and, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and that's, that's the question is scripture sufficient to answer these questions. And, um, yeah, so I'm excited just to, yeah. to talk about this and talk about, um, just again, scripture has all the answers to, yeah. to everything we are going to face. And so, um, yeah, looking to just, uh, dive on in and, uh, and, uh, find out more about this, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I sent you some show notes, uh, Kevin, where, I think at the top of the list, man, when we think about implantable technology, the, I think the very first thing we need to talk about is the fact that the body, in the Christian worldview, the body is sacred. Yes. And so anything that goes inside of us, <laughs> anything that's going in our body, we better know what we're doing. Yep. Because we are, we're tampering with the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, in the same way that you wouldn't want to put a bunch of toxic chemicals in your body or, or, or maybe a case could be made that you don't want to stuff a bunch of cheeseburgers in your body right. either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think there's a balance. Right? Definitely. I think there's a balance, right? I mean, it's not just drugs, but sometimes it could be an issue of stewardship as a Christian that maybe you shouldn't live on Twinkies your whole life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the importance and so of we it. Need- yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, yeah. too, is like, you know, Christ is going to raise our bodies, uh, you know, from the grave. Like, we Amen. will have glorified bodies one day. And so, That's yeah, right. the body does matter. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and when you think about implantable technology, man, we have to take it out of the realm of sci-fi. Like, we need to take it out of the realm of, this is just, you know, sci-fi technology that is almost like, you know, like we're watching Hollywood movies or something, a Terminator or something. And and now things are going on, uh, Kevin, I don't know how much of this you you watch, but I, I watch it very closely. But things are going on now that have completely taken it out of the realm of theoretical and into the realm of reality. For example, recently in Michigan, there was a, a gentleman who bought a Tesla and Tesla is doing a test run of a hundred people, and these hundred people are actually putting a computer chip in their hand. And this computer chip is going to control their Tesla. It's going to open up their car door. It's going to start their vehicle. It's going to open up their house. It's a smart chip, My. and they're doing a ten. A, they're doing a hundred percent test run. And listen to this now: before they scale, which means. They are getting ready to Tesla. I mean, how many Teslas do you see in the neighborhood, right? Like, you see Teslas everywhere. Yeah. It's a, it's a self-driving I mean, car, man. I mean, you yeah, can just like... Yeah, self-driving car. Yeah, right? exactly. But, but the thing is, is that, is that Elon Musk, I guess, a, you know, Tesla company, they're getting ready to make this an option at checkout. So now when you get a Tesla car, you're going to have an option to get a chip implanted in your hand that will... The, this will be an invisible key to your, you're, you're not going to even need keys anymore. Um, and then the question is, is who else is doing that? Well, they're already implementing computer chips in the UK and Denmark in China and other countries are already experimenting with implantable technology that uses uh, NFC technology. I don't know if you know, NFC technology is the same technology that is in your 
credit card when you tap it okay. at the register. And so it just, it just, you tap it and it scans it and it beeps it and there you get your stuff. So that technology is what they're putting in these computer chips so that you can go and pay and check out. And the science is not super complicated. The application is what we care about mm-hmm. is that now we're talking about taking, a, not, not putting a, a credit card in your wallet. Now we're talking about putting the credit card in your hand. Okay. Yeah. And so, of course, like if you just even do a cursory reading of scripture, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take a genius to, to, to look at what scripture says in terms of something like the mark of the beast that you get a mark on your right hand or your forehead and you can't buy or sell anything right. without it. Um, even like secular people, even worldly pagan people are saying, what is this? The mark of the beast? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all like, they're all even pointing it out uh, as if to say, wait a minute, this technology could be too much. much yeah. And, and, and it's almost like we're going from small scale to massive scale applications of this. And so that we have to start wondering what in the world is the Christian response to all this? Yeah. How should we approach this from a biblical perspective? Is there, an, is there, some, is there anything inherently wrong with implantable technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the kind of questions, Kevin, that people are going to start asking. And what all I'm saying, after spending, I don't know how many years now in the area of apologetics and, you know, heavy theology and, and going to all these huge conferences and, and great, great stuff, right? Great ministries and great conferences and good theologians. But I tell you what, brother, a lot of these subjects are nowhere to be found. No <laughs> one's talking about them. And yet here we are in 2022 getting ready to see one of the biggest companies in our country start putting computer chips in people's hands. And my question is, is well, well my, first of all, my point is that's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Are we ready and how do we respond? Right. I mean, you can think about it. We we have become so tech absorbed as a as a society. I mean, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. You know. I mean, you know, just driving down the highway, somebody's texting and almost hitting you, and you know, and it's like you just you go out to eat, and people are on their phone constantly. I mean, people live on their phones. They live by technology. Um, you know, obviously if, uh, computers, internet shut down, anything like that. I mean, that's just, as you said, it's just tip of the iceberg in the sense of like, we are so tech driven and we're so tech absorbed and, you know, obviously, you know, it's like, Hey, what do we do? I mean, like you said, it's it's only going to continue. It's only going to continue to obviously get worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, obviously, Every what fall they come out with the new iPhone and there's always new gadgets, new everything. And, and, and again, it's, it's just part of our, part of our society now. And, um, yeah, yeah we are tech driven. And, um, I would say too, a lot of people are addicted to their phones. You agree with that? You know, I think, yeah, I think you're talking to a couple of them right yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, you know, te- uh, Kevin, that's, I think that's part of it, dude, that, that it almost is like, it's unescapable. Yeah. You know, it's like what we're doing right now, recording this podcast, we need technology. Right. You know, if you want to start a podcast, you need technology. If you want to start a YouTube video, if you want to, you know, technology is now the way we do everything. It's the way we work. 
It's the way we communicate. Mm-hmm. It's the way we network. It's the way we stay in touch. It's the way we have access to the world. And so in a sense, it's like, it's a necessary component of life now. And I think, you know, the, the, the word technology comes from the Greek word techne, which just means craft or art or tool, mm-hmm. okay? And there's nothing necessarily evil about techne, okay? There's nothing evil about a tool. But, but like we've seen over the history of redemption— you can you can have a tool that is as primitive as brick and mortar. Yeah. And you can build a tower yep. and unite the whole world around an antichrist spirituality like the Tower of Babel yeah. so that technology becomes a medium for a worldview. Right. I think that I don't know, I, I to me that's what's so important here is to understand that yes, we are tech absorbed. Yes. We are absolutely addicted to technology and, and in many ways dependent on technology. And let us not forget that technology is an advantage to many things. I mean, technology gives us the ability to do a lot of amazing stuff. Right. You know, they even have, Kevin, they even have computer chips that will go in your brain and that will help you with disabilities and paralysis hmm. and things like that and allow people that would otherwise never communicate to be able to have some ability to communicate even though they're in a, a, a some sort of a state of retardation. I mean, we're we're you know, we're we're on the cusp of what I call miracle tech mm-hmm. because we are getting to the point where through technology, you know, um um the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. And this is all part of what I call also messianic tech, that through technology, we're almost creating like this messianic euphoria where the technology authenticates the whole worldview of futurism and transhumanism to say, how can we deny this technology that let my child get out of a a wheelchair or allowed my blind child to see or deaf to hear and I tell you what, man, it's you know it's 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 a it's a really interesting phenomenon that that we're looking at today. And again, just how the church is able to respond to that um, is really important. You know, in 2017, I wrote down here that Douglas Estes, who wrote for Christianity Today, said, "In a hundred years, when people have robot robotic arms and legs, I don't think that changes my mission as a Christian." Now. Also, you know, in pointing that out, we've got to point out also the fact that, you know, prosthetic arms and legs are the absolute least of your worries in 100 years, because in 100 years from today, um, that is not what the technology, what the futurists are saying. Mm -hmm. Our world will not consist of prosthetic robotic arms and legs. In 100 years from now, the kind of things they're envisioning, the way that one Christian author put it, Kevin, Mm -hmm. is we're not talking about having a robotic arm. We're talking about whether or not you want your child to be born with a tail. Oh, my word. Wow. We're we're not talking about just, you know, uh, having the ability to grab a cup again. We're we're talking about nanotechnology that can actually change your biology Mm -hmm. altogether. And so it's a different level of stuff of what's what's happening. And so that's why um, if you listen to the, the last... The podcast from last 
last week, I talked about what's going on with this digital currency um, that right now, Kevin, in New York, they're actually testing for 12 weeks. They're doing a trial run of a cashless society, of a digital currency. And many folks, um, uh, there was, the article came out, uh, a, a website called shiftgold.com. And shiftgold.com pointed out how that there is a dark side to all of this, that as we go more and more and more digital, what is changing with the digital tech is also our identification. Hmm. And so our ID is becoming more and more digital, and that paves the way for things like the social credit score, what China is doing. And um, and it just, again, it, it puts us in a place where we, we start accepting more and more technology into ourselves. And right now, there are several companies that are working on BMI technology, which is brain-machine interface. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds wild. Yeah. But brain-machine interface companies like Neuralink, that's Elon Musk, uh-huh. and, Tes- and Tesla. Well, something this year happened where the leading engineer at Neuralink went to Synchron, the competing company. And Elon Musk lost his top engineer. And you know what he did? He went to Synchron and he said, I'd like to buy part of your company. <laughs> so he, he wasn't even so much upset that he lost his engineer. What Elon Musk is saying is the future, the future is this brain-machine interface technology. In other words putting a computer chip in your brain. And I want to buy the company that's leading the way in that technology. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, uh, and Norexis is very important because the company Norexis has actually brought a BMI chip to market. No one knows, like people that aren't, if you're not studying this stuff, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know that. Right. That they've actually brought a brain chip to market right now as we speak, where we are literally sitting here in 2022 and we have, they've gotten all the medical approval, government approval. Uh, Norexis is a Shanghai-based company and and they're going to be approaching it from a medical application, which again, makes perfect sense. But what happens when we go beyond the medical and now we start using it for everything else, the economic, the social... Uh, everything the gut for governance right it's not um, just being used for for good purposes yeah absolutely it's to it's to control people it's to it's to people are living their lives through, basically can everything's being controlled through this brain chip well let me ask you kevin what do you think bro because i've been like i've been mulling over this okay. i've been chewing over this yeah. more and more and more why do you think the church is so silent on something that's so so crucial so un so <laughs> unprecedented uh like if this is really coming like the way they're telling us and how they're advancing this it's just wild to me that the church is so silent on it well i think part of it is is just unaware honestly you know i mean as far as um you know obviously you've done the study you've you've read all these articles and things like that but i think a lot of it is just uh it's just uh many people are just very very unaware of, of what's happening and in the culture and mm. society and things like that. And, and oftentimes, you know, things, um, you know, 
catch us by, by surprise. You know, oftentimes it's, it's, it's too late if things just continue to progress. And then it's like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know this, or this is how it's going to be now, you know? And, um, and again, not yeah. kind of staying with the progress of it or keeping updated yeah. on it. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's so true. I mean, I remember when the metaverse was announced. Remember when when um, Mark Zuckerberg announced that Facebook was going to be called Meta mm-hmm. now, and 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 the whole metaverse. Like, I don't know how much television you watch, Kevin. You're probably a lot godlier than I am. But <laughs> man, it's just sports, dude. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, so, yeah I, mean, I mean, I do, yeah, yeah. but it's a, yeah. It's always <laughs> there's always some sports on, so that's it. Well, <laughs> well, I tell you what, dude. Like, it's like. Man, more and more and more commercials are about the metaverse. It's like the metaverse is this and that. You're going to be able to, you know, you're going to do your fitness on the metaverse. You're going to see your yeah. doctor on the metaverse. You're going to go to school on the metaverse. You're going to go to work on the metaverse. It, it's ridiculous. And what Mark Zuckerberg said in that introductory uh, um, announcement, it was one hour long. One hour long. I watched the entire thing. It was horrible to have to stomach that whole thing, but <laughs> I watched it because I had to listen to Mark Zuckerberg yeah. for an hour, but I did but I did it because I wanted to hear every little thing he had to say. And he actually used the words, I, it's unbelievable, but he actually used the words in the metaverse he said, "You will you will be whoever you want to be. You will do whatever you want to do, go wherever you want to go with whoever you want to go." And, and and basically, he used words like limitless, and it, it like you know what I'm saying it's like endless applications of the metaverse. And I just think that we were not ready for the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Like when that was introduced, people went scrambling everywhere. Like, oh, the metaverse is upon us. You know, like here we are, and now more and more companies and more and more uh, even government applications are now using virtual technology, virtual reality. And once again, the Christian church was not ready because a lot of this technology, you got to understand that there is a doctrine in the transhumanist futurist community Mm. And at the heart of that doctrine is the word progress. Everything is everything is couched in the language of progress. And if you stand against progress, they're getting it. They're, what they're doing with the language, Kevin, is that they're 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 literally formulating the language that if you stand against progress, you are standing against humanity itself. You, you you are against the evolution of the human race, and you are denying us as a humanity of reaching our fullest potential. Mm-hmm. This, see what I'm saying? Yep. This is the humanistic language right. that they're using. Right. And I tell you what, man, for people that are devoid of the Spirit of God, yep. and, and although you may be an alarmist, although you may be uh, somebody that is a conspiracy theorist, Maybe you're a person that has got economic reasons why you're afraid of certain technology. But if you don't have a biblical worldview, you know, there's really nothing keeping you from adopting an evolutionary presupposition. Right. That we're just evolving. We're just going to the next level as animals. Like uh, Yuval Noah Harari says, we are hackable animals now. 
And we are now just going to the next level of our animalistic evolution. Right. And so, it, it, so anyway, it just has huge implications for the way that we look at, you know, apologetics right. and uh, just a host of issues. Yeah, I, I mean, you think of Genesis 1 to 26, like we're made in the image of God. And, mm. you know, obviously... You know, if you don't have that and you you don't believe that, and, and like you said, if you're devoid of the Spirit of God, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, again, that is what you are going to think. Absolutely. It's yeah. going to be all about humanism. It's all about, uh, obviously, humanity progressing. And, um, you know, again, you think of that perspective and then obviously being made in the image of the God or image of God. And so, um, yeah, speak, can you speak into that a little bit more of just... Um, yeah you know, the implications of that, of, of just having a humanistic perspective versus obviously being made in the image of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the image of God, uh, the image of God concept for a long time for people has been relegated to the conversation that mainly deals with abortion. Mm-hmm and human rights, and we think of things like, well, we're created in the image of God, therefore, you should not commit abortion, Mm -hmm. right? And humans have value and worth and those kinds of things, okay? At the very foundation, I mentioned this a moment ago, but at the very foundation of this whole humanistic or or, or transhumanist and technology, I call it the futurist dream, okay? And the futurist dream, according to many leading futurists like Ray Kurzweil, Max Moore, Vita Natasha Moore, um, you know, all, all these guys, Eric Schmidt, all these dudes, they, they, what they're saying basically is that human beings are malleable. In other words, that human beings are shapeable and changeable and that we are really deficient right now in this stage of evolution, that we need to, we need to, um, uh, a lot of the language they use right now is actually anti-evolution, which is kind of wild if yeah. you think about it. For a bunch, of, for a bunch of secularists, yeah, there really are anti-evolutionists. It's in the literature that we're going to bypass our evolution altogether, and in that way, Kevin, here's 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 the thing. Uh, in philosophy, there's a philosophy known as fundamentalism, mm-hmm. and fundamentalism is the idea that there are certain aspects of reality that cannot be uh, in a sense that that are unchangeable, they're fundamental. Okay, they're they're basic for life and reality and whatever. And so, human nature is one of those things that, as Christians, we regard to be fundamental. We don't change human nature into anything else. <laughs> okay, we're not. We're never going to go from human beings to non-human. Right. Okay. And so. Uh, the transhumanist agenda and this whole technological idea is all rooted in the idea that everything is changing, that everything can change, and that human nature can change and can be manipulated like the way that you would tamper with biology and bioengineering, the, the way that you manipulate rats in a lab. Yeah. Okay? And so, but the image of God is telling us that we're not malleable. Um. You know, Kevin, here's the the thing is that when God created us in his image, Christians don't understand, even when you go to heaven, when you and I, by the grace of God, when we go to heaven, 
we don't become something other than human. Right. Okay. We will have a glorified body, but we will not be other than human. We will be perfected in our humanity, but we will not be, you know, kind of to, to challenge Thomas Aquinas, we will not be reproportioned in our intellect to something else. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we, we just won't be. You know what I mean? We will still be finite. We will still be limited. We will still have a physical body. We'll still have a human mind and a, and a human, uh, uh, you know, and human capabilities. We're not going to become divine. We're not going to become demigods or something right. like that. Okay. And so, uh, so, so this whole idea, man, of, of tampering with, with, with the nature of a human being goes directly against the image of God in us that is not meant to be reproportioned in any direction other than being perfected by the presence and by the spirit of God so that we don't become mm. other than human. That's so important. I'm right. telling you, as we, as we keep going, Kevin, we're going to hear everything is going to be couched in the language of potential, right. progress, right. advancing, enhancing, moving forward, human flourishing, a new world, a new humanity. And the reason I know that is not because I'm predicting anything. Right. The reason I know that, Kevin, is because I've read all their books. Mm. You know, I was it's reading- uh, in the literature. I, I saw, uh, I, it was an article, I forget where it was at, but they were talking about just even future Olympics, that possibility of people- actually amputating their legs and putting like technology so they could run faster, you know? And you think of that and you're like, are you kidding me? But it's just the reality of, 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 Hey, I can run faster if I have these, you know, whatever you're running on, that's artificial or whatever it is. But I was like, you gotta be crazy to do that. But People are willing to go to that limit because now there's a possibility, you know, that humans can run faster or somebody can win a gold medal and that's what they want, you know? And, and, and when we hear that, I'm like, that, that's absolutely insane for somebody to do that. But man, will we see that one day? Possibility, you know? Yeah. There's, there was an MIT professor, his name is Hugh Herr, and he gave a TED talk. Um, where because he had his legs, um, uh, he, he lost his legs through an accident, mm-hmm. and um, and through technology, he was walking on prosthetic legs, and he called himself a cyborg. And by the end of the TED talk, he talked about all the advantages of being a cyborg, and talked about how this opened up a whole new vista of reality to him that now he recognized that just like he has prosthetic legs, robotic legs that are contro- that that you know where the technology is getting so advanced that now it's like literally giving him physical and sensory feedback the way that real legs do just wild so he's saying like yeah kind of like what you're saying Kevin is that like people are going to be like forget your biological body parts <laughs> why don't we get super body parts right. to advance us and enhance us? And, you know, Ray Kurzweil in his book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, he talks about just hold on to 2045. And in all his other books, same thing, same, same time stamp. Hold on to 2045, because by 2045, if you live long enough to 2045, that by then, 
we will have the technology that will allow you to live a little bit longer and live to the next stage that will get you to live a little longer so that you live long enough to see the true radical life extending technology mm-hmm. that's what so all their shit their chips are in that bag right right they they've put all their chips in that life extension pseudo eternal life pseudo immortality uh, kind of way of thinking. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, I think we saw it just with uh, 2020 with COVID as well, just how easily uh, people, how easily society is influenced by by any decision that can be made from from you know the top or if there's fear that's driving anything, um, just how people just kind of just come in line with what everybody says, you know? And um, mm-hmm. when you think about that, I mean, obviously, you know, we talked to it was just uh, how, how eschatology drives that, you know, um, mm-hmm. at the end, um, you know, are things going to get better? That's, right. Uh, you know, it well, got no, a rhetorical no. question. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're putting, if you're putting, if you're putting my back to the wall on that question, yeah. you, you know what my answer is I to know, that question. I know. That's why I had to throw that out there for you. <laughs> but, uh, which is all good, but um, no, but yeah, well, this is what's that because I mean, obviously having yeah. that, knowing that, um, that, that things aren't getting better, they're not going to, um, man, how, oh. uh, yeah, eschatology, like how does that, how does that play in to obviously, um, having a proper eschatology as well, having a, a, a biblical yeah. eschatology, how does that, uh, obviously impact what we're, what we're talking about here? Well, well, Kevin, I think the ir- there's an irony here, mm-hmm. and the irony is that in the name of human progress, um, in the name of advancing ourselves, the self is lost. Mm. That is really important to, as a church, we have to master that message, because all of our young people are being given a ultra um, narcissistic worldview of selfism. Mm-hmm. It's all about your... Right now, the messaging is relating to things like LGBTQ right. and all that stuff. And it's telling everyone, express yourself, be yourself, right. explore yourself, uh, you know, realize yourself, come into yourself and who you... Be, be the best version of yourself you can be. You know, all of those humanistic slogans are really anti-human mm-hmm. at the end of the day, which is remarkable, right? Um, I actually, uh, I talked about this in a lecture I gave for Peter Jones uh, for his symposium on the metaverse and personal identity. And I talked about how as technology threatens to bring us all into one interconnected network of technology we lose our individual identities, okay? And in a world that supposedly is offering us ultra-identity issues, mm-hmm. I mean, dude, it's, it's almost like, how do you sum up, you know, the last three decades? Identity. Right. <laughs> you know, like everything is about who you are and be who you are, you know? But remarkably, we're losing that identity. And human identity is 
is sacrificed on the altar of supposedly becoming the best you that you can be and progressing in your humanity. And so that brings us to the issue of eschatology, as you've mentioned. And when we think about eschatology, you know, what's interesting, Kevin, is people debate, we all debate, myself very much included in that. I love eschatology. Mm -hmm. I love debating eschatology. I have no problem with that. But when we think about eschatology, and if we can't get beyond the things that we debate, yeah. positions in the millennium, rapture stuff, you know, whatever. But if we don't understand that biblical eschatology has everything to do with human advancement, then we don't really truly understand biblical eschatology. Because biblical eschatology, as is captured in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 49, mm -hmm. has no reference to a rapture, has no reference to the timing of the second coming, has no reference to the millennium, nothing. What is it talking about? It's talking about advancing us as human beings in and by the Spirit so that the image of God, coming full circle here, the image of God in us is perfected by the Spirit of God. What does Paul say? Having borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, we will, by the Spirit, in other words, that's what he's teaching, we will bear the image of the heavenly man, mm -hmm. Christ. And what that is saying is, you know, it's not surprising that immediately, immediately after that, in 1 Corinthians 15, immediately after that, he goes into the section of 1 Corinthians 15 that most people are familiar with, <laughs> which is the next section. Right. Name, you know, the section where he talks about perishable, you know, has to put on the imperishable. Mortal has to put on immortality, right? Right. And he's going into the whole resurrection discourse. But first he situates that by reminding us how do we bear the image of the heavenly man. And that's a work of the Spirit. So I have often said, I don't know, you can tell me whatever you think, Kevin, but I have often said, the future of apologetics and the way that we tackle these cultural issues, the future is eschatology and the way that we conceive of humanity advancing forward, progressing. What does it mean for humans to flourish? Mm -hmm. That language is everywhere today. It's very trendy in Christian writing right now, right? Uh, uh, people are, preachers are talking about it. It's in sermons now. Tim Keller loves talking about human flourishing, you know? Okay, what does it truly mean to flourish as a human being? Mm -hmm. Well, it does not mean having your biology engineered in a lab. Yeah. That's not human flourishing. Right. And so that's why I'm saying that eschatology is so fundamentally deeper and broader and more comprehensive than just the stuff that we argue about, it has to do with the way that we advance in Christ. Amen. That's good. What would you say to, um, man, somebody's listening here and um, just kind of just bringing it all together and uh, bringing it home? Um, you know, obviously, we talked about this. What what would be some of your concluding statements that that you would say to somebody who's like, okay, this is coming down the pipeline. 
Uh, scripture is sufficient for all things as, as we've addressed. Um, what would be your, um, your guidance, your counsel from a biblical perspective on, on, on how to deal with these issues as, as we move forward? Oh, certainly. Um, Kevin, here's the thing. You look at Acts chapter 17. That's a passage that if you go there, you'll notice that every apologetics book ever written always goes to Acts 17. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of like yeah. the, the go, that's the go-to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like the go-to passage. You know what I mean? There's Paul, the apologist, doing apologetics. And, you know, the, um, the evidentialist goes there, and the presuppositionalist goes there, and the classical guy goes there to prove their, their, yeah. their apologetic methodology. Okay, well, there's one thing we all have to admit from that passage. The Apostle Paul does not begin with apologetics per se. The Apostle Paul begins with what? He begins with history. Mm. And for the Apostle Paul, he begins to, uh, he begins to deconstruct the worldview of the Athenians, both Epicureans and Stoics, and the other philosophers, he deconstructs their worldview by retelling them the history of humanity mm-hmm. from the biblical perspective of redemptive history. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, here's something that might blow your mind. I hope it blows your mind because I want you to be impressed, but <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, I, I want people, no, I want people to see, to hear this. And then go and read, okay, just go and read, and then as, you know, if, if you're brave enough to go read the kind of stuff I'm reading, Yuval Noah Harari, Eric Schmidt, Ray Kurzweil, Max Moore, go read these transhumanists, okay? You know that almost all their books begin the same way? <laughs> they begin with a recounting of the history of humanity. Mm. They tell you how we began in order to capture your ability to interpret the future. And so that's where the Epicureans and Stoics were. You know that Epicureans and Stoics, neither of them believed in an afterlife, mm. neither of them believed in the human soul. They did not believe in a resurrection, crying out loud, and they certainly did not believe in, in a judgment, a day of judgment. How do we get people today who have almost virtually completely lost any eschatological hope, any sort of eschatological framework, we ha- Kevin, we have to retell them the history of mm. humanity. We need to bring them back to what, what Paul says in Acts 17, from one man, mm-hmm. God created the world. Yep. And if we lose that battle right there, that's why... You know, I, that's why I appreciate creationist ministries like Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis and anyone else, and especially biblical theology. You know I love biblical yeah. theology, but that's why I love biblical theology because it's all about history. It's all about retelling the history of redemption, redemptive history. It's all showing us that from Genesis to Revelation, right. it's all about Christ, and it's Amen. one organic, connected, unfolding story. And if we lose the story of redemptive history— Kevin, we will not be able to effectively deconstruct mm. the futurist neighbor, the person who is putting their hope 
and the experience that he's getting or she's getting yeah. from a digital world. Right. And so we need to get better at being able to take people back to the beginning to show them that from there, we get meaning, morals, and beauty, and that without that, we have no basis for meaning, morals, and beauty. And whatever beauty you are seeing in this world, because I believe, Kevin, right now that in our culture, if Francis Schaeffer was alive today, I think that he would notice that what's going on in our culture philosophically is that aesthetics has begun to dictate metaphysics. Mm. And I, just so everyone out there is clear, aesthetics, a theory of beauty or art, is now determining metaphysics, a theory of reality. So that now what we see and what we project on the television screen, on our phones, on our, uh, in our virtual realities, that is now beginning to shape our vision of reality. Right. It's really terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and so there you go, brother. I think that's how we do it. And um, I wish we had more time, maybe next time. Um, we'll do another episode in the future. But I think teleology is so important to get people thinking in terms of what is their purpose again. Uh, we're never going to stop. We're never going to stop dialoguing on that front. We're always going to come back to what, why are you here? Right. What, what's your purpose? Why, are, why do you draw breath? You know, um, if it's for a digital future, is that really worth it? Is that meaningful? I mean, really, um, you know how many television shows right now and Netflix, there's Netflix shows, many of them now, that are giving a, a kind of worldview where they're saying that basically the goal is to digitally upload your consciousness to some sort of digital avatar and have some kind of synthetic eternal life in the cloud. It's just disgusting. Yeah. It's evil. It's retarded. It's, it's ridiculous. But this is the mental programming that's going on. Right. And if you and I, and I know you because you have worked with young people your whole, I right. mean, in ministry, you've done so much ministry to the youth, but young people right now are being bombarded with a worldview where you are supposed to prefer your digital life, your digital self to your real self in what the future is called the real, real world. And it's unbelievable. It is, it's almost like we're right back at the garden. Yeah. You know, yeah. what is reality? Has God really said, right. you know? Um, anyway, so man, Kevin, dudes, I appreciate you so much, brother. Thank you for, for, for coming on, brother. I'm looking forward to future episodes, man, where we can chalk talk these, these, these important issues. For sure. For sure. Thanks for having me, Amelia. I appreciate you, man. And uh, yeah, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll do it again soon for sure. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in another episode of Christ and Kingdom. Until next time, God bless you all.